Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their teardrop trailer that they have nicknamed Maggie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past three years, they have been filming a documentary about heritage breed animals entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds, and the Need for Biodiversity. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara, and welcome back to our podcast. These days, you might think that there's a lot going on in the news, or maybe you think that nothing much at all is going on in the news. Kind of depends on your perspective. Sometimes it seems like it's all the same and only the names have changed. In the words of Bon Jovi, of course. It's me, so I had to get an 80s reference in there for you. Anyway, there's a recurring theme in many news stories from the last year, and they fall into that the same story but different name category, in a good way. In the mid-60s, a new generation pushed for change, and they became known for it. Aside from the free love and drugs gone wild thing, I mean, that generation vented, and they marched, and they protested, and they did a lot of other unmentionable stuff. But they were often anything but quiet. Not all of it was pretty, and not all of it was positive. But the single biggest thing that I tend to think about with the youth at that time was what they were not. And the last word you might use to describe them is apathetic. If you ask Merriam-Webster, apathy is a lack of feeling or emotion, impassiveness, lack of concern. Wikipedia says it's a state of indifference or the suppression of emotions such as concern, excitement, motivation, or passion. An absence of interest in or concern about emotional, social, spiritual, philosophical, or physical life and the world. Sometimes apathy comes from a lack of education, or maybe will. If I don't know about it, it doesn't exist. And if I work hard enough at it, I can make sure I keep not knowing about it so I don't have to do anything about it. So I'll just stay fat, dumb, and happy, as my dad would say. I consider myself to be a pretty hard worker, but I've had enough binge-watching weekends on the sofa to understand the value of that particular vice. Apathy also might come from the environment in which you're raised. Sometimes you're just plain exhausted from a fight. That could apply to anyone in the years before the 19-teens, where all of humankind had to deal with the biggest wars in Earth's history up to that point, and then topped it off with an influenza pandemic that wiped out about 5% of the world's population. Or maybe the 1920s and 30s, where they had to deal with the Great Depression and then the Dust Bowl. Or the 40s and 50s, where we had another world war and then the fallout from that. So by the time they got to the 1960s, you could assume that everyone on the planet had either experienced or had someone in their life that had experienced long-term stress. Every person, their parents, or their grandparents were probably exhausted from just plain existing and maybe could use a little bit of escapism. No more fighting, please, or conflict, or acknowledgement of anything unpleasant. We'll pretend it doesn't exist, and don't rock the boat. So society might have a little mental escapist period there. It's well-earned, if you ask me. But then, after the bounce-back part, escapism or avoidance of conflict can become a way of life. It seems like that could describe us here in the U.S. for a bit, at least culturally. So then the 60s and 70s hit, 
And the next generation is obviously ready to be done with the apathy thing and let their voices be heard. This is where that thing I mentioned in the beginning comes in, about the same story but a different name. In a way, we're having that happen again right now, with a group of people that are passionate and letting their voices be heard. This might be in Hong Kong, where a new amendment has sparked large protests across the region. It might be Greta Thunberg, the plain-spoken and passionate Swedish teenage activist that's gained international attention for her campaigning on climate change. It might be the rallies in 2019 across the country where young people absented themselves from school to march in the streets to tell adults to do more about the planet they'll inherit. No matter what thing enters your head first when you think about people in this time expressing their concerns in a less than indifferent way, the fact is that we're seeing a lot of that. And it's not necessarily bad in my opinion. Since time immemorial, People in older generations have rolled their eyes in frustration at the younger generations, and the young puppies have rolled their eyes right back. The current catchphrase, OK Boomer, encapsulates the validity of both sides of that equation, the response, but also the issues that caused the response in the first place. There's been a lot of talk lately about the younger generation and activism, but the one thing that both sides of any generational conflict should be thrilled with is that there definitely isn't a lack of care right now. In the words of Neil Young at Farm Aid 2018, I don't care what you care about, just care about something. That's a really important thing to remember, because if there's one thing that's truly difficult to combat, it's apathy. Once it settles in, it's pervasive contagious, and exhausting. Once people give up the fight to care about anything, we're just cogs on a wheel. We start counting the minutes until the thing we're doing is over, waiting for the day to end, or the year to be over, or for the day we hit retirement. Just waiting for time to go by with as few moments of effort as are possibly necessary. But what about all that stuff in the middle? Tough as it is, that's where life actually happens. And if we're completely lacking in hope or interest or just enduring it and waiting for it to be over, we might as well just give up now. I keep thinking of the footage in our film trailer with the dairy cows standing in a line, eating out of the troughs, then chewing their cuds. There could be grass in that area by the fence, but there are pellets in front of us, so why bother walking that far, right? At first, it's a decision with a thought process behind it. But then all you see is the trough after a while, and you don't even bother thinking about the fence. So enough about apathy in youth. How do I connect that to cows other than the reference that I just mentioned? Next month, it's time again for the National Western Stock Show held in Denver, Colorado. In preparation for that event, over the next few weeks, we'll be bringing you podcasts either from or relating to the people we met there in January of 2018. It was a pretty full schedule, and for us that meant yaks, draft horses, a rodeo, mules, tons of history, a longhorn parade, and high tea at the Brown Palace, among other things. But one of the things that really stuck with me in the midst of all that was the Scottish Highland people and the American Highland Cattle Association, ACA, who were having their annual show there. Bagpipes, dancers, an auction, and footage of how long it takes to wash and polish a Highland cow for the show ring. Think of the hair on that thing and just imagine it. Yes, they do use hair dryers. We'll bring you more from them later. Meeting one of the people there really caused me to pause, though, and we're going to bring you an excerpt from that interview to you today. 
When we hit the barns at the National Western, we met the current ACA president at that time, Laura McDowell May. She and her daughters were in the midst of the preparations for the show ring and the auction, which means that life was a bit hectic. In the interview, you'll hear the fans blowing in the background and the cattle mooing and the people talking as they go by. First, I'll start out by saying that if you had tried to get a more stereotypically Scottish grouping at the National Western, I think it would have been difficult. There we were in the barns with the fluffy red, brown, and tan highland cattle everywhere. Laura's family looked like something out of central casting, creamy skin with freckles and curling red hair, and all of them were vibrating energy. They had probably all been washing and moving cows all day, and it still seemed to me like it was a little difficult for them to sit still for the time it took to do an interview. To top it off, I'm sure every family member I met are the kind that habitually skew the bell curve in every class they take. I'm sure of it. Absolutely as sharp as they come. And they were actually nice after all that largesse. We sat down with Anna Lee May for a chat. Anna Lee was raised on her family's farm, Seawind Meadows, which is located in Dennis, Massachusetts. If you think of Cape Cod Bay as a big U, they're near the bottom right side of it. Anna Lee, like many farm kids, participated in raising the cattle and had in fact brought a heifer to this one. She had entered the heifer in the show and was hoping for not only a good placement there, but a good price at the auction afterward. This young lady will tell you about herself soon, but the thing that really impressed me was the quiet passion with which she spoke. That thing we mentioned earlier, apathy, none of that here. And she comes by it naturally. Even if she hadn't learned a passion for environmental issues at the cradle, she probably would have from observing her environment. This is the kind of individual that will determine the future, and I, for one, will sleep better for it. By the way, Annalie not only won the blue ribbon with her heifer, but managed to take the record price at the Highland Cattle Auction that followed. Couldn't be more well-deserved. My name is Annalie May and I'm from Dennis, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. How long have you had Scottish Highland cattle? Um, how long I've had Scottish Highlands? It's over 10 years now. Um, early into grade school we got into it. I had no agricultural experience before that and honestly it's one of the best experiences that ever could have happened. It's definitely changed my life and it's definitely for the better. So do you really feel that this has been a good experience, and if so, why? I absolutely think this is a great experience. When you go through grade school, you're learning just like how, how to learn basic fundamental skills, which you can teach to anything. But the things you learn through agriculture is responsibility, how to be accountable for different things, how to take care of different people or your projects that you have. 
You learn a lot about compassion and the way things work, and you learn that everything that happens and everything that you have, you have to work for. And I think that's one of the greatest things that agriculture has, because there's so much opportunity if you're willing to put the work in to get the outcome that's desired. So. Now, I know that your mom is a pretty socially and environmentally conscious person, but has your view of food changed since you now know what it takes to get to your plate? Absolutely. Like, in the dining halls at school, I go to the University of New Hampshire, and it's a very environmentally conscious university. And it's nice to see the initiatives that they take place, but it's interesting from the upbringing that I've had, I definitely value food at a much higher um, like level than a lot of my peers, just because I know how much work it goes into, and especially with meat consumption. You know that everything that you have, you shouldn't put it to waste. There's something that you can do with it. And just eating it is the biggest respect that you can have for food and not letting it go to waste. Did you eat your own beef when you were younger? Yes. Did you eat head to tail? Yeah, every part of the animal has a purpose. And I think it's cool because you can learn about a bunch of different cultural dishes depending on what the different organs are or the cuts of beef that you use. And there's just so much opportunity from the carcass that you can really make any sort of dish that you prefer. Do you ever find yourself in this day of cell phones and TV being able to look back and say, I can relate to what people did years ago. Yeah. I think it brings you back to your roots, honestly. It gets you more in touch and you have a better value system for the way production is in our country and globally, really. And it just brings you back to the core value systems that really have built so many cultures and civilizations. I know you were raised with the Highlands. Were there other cattle in your experience? Not really, honestly. We started out with the Scottish Highlands and We've kind of stuck with it other than our crossbreds and Highlands have definitely been a very hardy breed that we've used and the crossbreds have been really phenomenal with the beef content and just with the rate of growth when you start crossbreeding them, which has been very interesting to see. What's your favorite thing about the Highlands? My favorite thing about the Highlands is definitely the appearance, but also the meat appeal that comes with it. Um, the appearance, you have that double layer coat which is very hardy, and it's definitely very beneficial, especially living in New England, with, because you never know what type of weather you're going to have. And the Highlands are just very efficient in the climate and the environment that we have introduced them to. So I really love that about the breed. So when you were younger, your folks chose an animal that was requiring of maybe a little less maintenance. Do you find yourself appreciative of the fact that you maybe you had a gentler introduction to agriculture? I think with the Highlands, is they're very instinctive, which we found. They're very intelligent, which we've done a few crosses and we don't always see it carry over, but the Highlands are very instinctive and we'll see it if, if a predator comes in, you'll see all the cows go to protect their young. And they just have a very poor, like, they almost have a hierarchy within their different herds, which we don't notice with all the different breeds that we've crossbred with. But it's just interesting to see how they relate to each other and how they interact. So who runs the show? Is it the males or the females? Honestly, I'd say it's a matriarchy. There's a lot of females in one bowl, and he often is overrun on the totem pole. So they kind of decide how it is, and then he's with whatever. He goes with the flow most of the time. 
So you're in college. Have you decided to go into agriculture or another field? As of right now, I'm a business administration major, but I'm looking to dual major into environmental conservation. And I think a lot of that has to do with the farm and living on the Cape where it's such an environmentally conscious area. I just think there's so much opportunity for agriculture and environmental to really work with each other rather than go head to head. And I think once we get past the gray area and start the conversation of how we can work together to get different things done, I think we'll have a lot of opportunity to work between the two different fields. Now I understand in the Chesapeake and Cape Cod and other areas like that there are a lot of issues with water pollution and a lot are caused by dairy farm runoff. Do you find that there's issues with that in your area? Um, there are a lot of studies about eutrophication and how not having barriers to different waterways causes issues with contamination of the waterways. But um, I think as long as we have buffer zones between these different, buff these different waterways and really sensitive estuaries, I think we can do a lot to promote sustainability, especially if we look towards renewable energy, such as methane digesters. If we start using methane and using the, ex the excretion from the cows and start turning that into energy, we'll have less CO2 emissions and that's just one more step towards a more green um, future rather than just shutting down dairy farming completely. I think if we start working together and just finding a better alternative rather than just going in one direction, I think we can find a happy medium for everyone. So do you find that this might be applicable across other animals and other breeds, a breed that's less consumptive of resources? Uh, do you think it's applicable? I definitely find that it is a good alternative. Especially for us, we were in a very environmentally restricted area, and we wanted to find a way that we could reclaim these old pasture lands without doing any major changes. And the highlands, we saw as we started to open up these old pastures, that we saw a lot of natural um, species, native species return to the area that really hadn't been seen there before. And I just think that it brings us back to the connection between mother nature and human interaction. And just to become better stewards of the land, I think that we can see a lot of change in that direction. So as a conservationist, do you think beef is gonna be an animal that's eaten 25 years from now? Honestly, there's a lot of talk about beef consumption in the environmental fields. And I think what we need to start moving towards is knowing your source and knowing where you're getting your beef from. I don't think that we need to cut out beef completely out of our diets, but I think we need to know how it's being raised and the sustainability that's going into the production before you choose to what your avenue of consumption is going to be. So because of your conservation mindset and the way you were raised, do you find yourself saying, you know, maybe proselytizing and saying to your fellow students, don't waste that food on your plate? I definitely find myself doing that. And I was actually in a class this past semester. And I think one of the biggest issues that our society is facing today is no one's really willing to listen to both sides of an argument. So when you actually start explaining why you have a certain viewpoint that they don't necessarily agree with, and you start explaining why agriculture might do certain things that they might find not to be the best way to get something done, and you start explaining how it's necessary to be done, they often are more willing to open up and accept the different values and the different opinions that you have on the topic. 
especially when they see that you're so passionate about it and you have the experience behind you. Now, your mom is president of a nonprofit organization, which can sometimes be a challenging thing to get people all moving in one direction for social good. Do you think you might find yourself doing something like that in the future? Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of opportunity to merge the two fields. I think that in the future, especially with the coming generations, I think people are more interested in knowing their source. And I think that as we increase interest, that's when we're going to get a lot more done and raise awareness for different causes. Cape Cod is dealing with the same issues as many watershed locations in the world, especially that caused by excess nitrogen. This problem can come not only from increased population and household septic systems, but also fertilizer runoff from surrounding land masses. I hope that you'll take a minute to look up the phrase dead zone on Wikipedia. They have an excellent graphic showing the regions affected by nutrient pollution, including nitrogen runoff. This issue has caused increasingly large problems like poor water quality, algae blooms, red tides, oxygen depletion, and marine life die-off in the bays, estuaries, and oceans of the United States and the rest of the world. Algae loves all these nutrients we provide so copiously. Sea life? Not so much. Just something to think about the next time we all enjoy a delicious bite of shrimp, crab, or lobster. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please tell your friends to join us. Please feel free to post any questions or comments that you might have to our social media sites. Our Twitter feed is at Backyard Green Films, spelled B-K-Y-R-D-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-L-M-S. Our Instagram is at Backyard Green Films, B-A-C-K-Y-A-R-D-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-L-M-S. Our Facebook is Backyard Green Films. Our YouTube URL is youtube.com Backyard Green Films. We would like to thank Anna Lee for sitting down with us today. 
If you'd like to find out more information about her family's farm, please visit their Facebook page at Sea Wind Meadows. Also, please check out the Highland Cattle Association at highlandcattleusa.org to learn more about these wonderful animals. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. Also, if you have interest in attending the National Western Stock Show, please visit their website at nationalwestern.com. Their upcoming show is January 9th through the 26th, 2020. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2019.